Welcome to 501c3 BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth, sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at the California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics. This season, we are busting this 10 minutes at a time with a shortened 10-minute podcast. We are one big family here. This is a line of BS my own staff would often say, and I would wince every time I heard them say it. For them, they meant it as a compliment, and I should have told them what I'm telling you now, but honestly, I like the compliment. For me, this nice little compliment was a failure of staff supervision. I did not want them to think of us like a family. I don't think any business should operate like a family. In community organizations, it's easy to get sucked into that feeling because you're on a mission for the community, but there are some real problems with the quote-unquote family dynamic. First of all, Families are often dysfunctional, and as a family member, you're required to accept that dysfunctionality. None of that is helpful for an organization. Yes, there should be love and respect and camaraderie as everyone is in the trenches working towards a mission, but it should not rise to the level of unconditional love. Second, is the whole idea of unconditional love. You can't operate a successful business that way. In our family at the cultural center I ran, I had to fire employees who did not do their job and endangered others. My staff were more upset with me than the employee being fired because I was breaking the rules of the family, unconditional love. The fact is, I did love these employees. I had great respect for them in many ways, but I was treated like I had betrayed them rather than the other way around. And through other staff, that is what I heard. This is not how a company should run. And it was the family ideal that made me the bad father punishing my kid rather than that person being the bad employee jeopardizing the whole organization. Reed Hoffman, one of the founders of PayPal and LinkedIn, and an early investor in Facebook, partnered with two of his Silicon Valley colleagues, Ben Kenosha and Chris Yeh, to write an article for the Harvard Review called, Your Company is Not a Family. Now keep in mind this article was written a few years ago, but in it they write, in contrast to a family, A professional sports team has a specific mission to win games and championships, and its members come together to accomplish that mission. The composition of the team changes over time, either because a team member chooses to go to another team or because the team's management decides to cut or trade a team member. In this sense, a business is more like a sports team than a family. Consider what we can learn from the example of America's winningest professional sports teams. In the NFL, the New England Patriots have won three Super Bowls since the turn of the century, and over the same time period, the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA have won three NBA championships and a fourth in 1999, and the Boston Red Sox have won the World Series three times as well. Each of these winning franchises has been able to build a consistent identity and a long-term relationship with its players, even though many of those players change from year to year. An NFL team has 53 players on its roster. The only member of the current New England Patriots team that played in the first championship team is quarterback Tom Bradley. A Major League Baseball team has 25 players on its roster. The only member of the current Boston Red Sox team to have played in the 2004 World Series championship is designated hitter Dave Oritz. The Spurs stand out for stability and longevity with their player relationships, yet even their current 13-man roster only includes one player from their first championship in 1999, power forward Tim Duncan. 
The reason these teams have been able to maintain consistent winners despite high personnel turnover is that they have been able to combine a realistic view of the often temporary nature of the employee relationship with a focus on shared goals and long-term personal relationships. While a professional sports team doesn't guarantee lifetime employment for its players, far from it. The employer-employee relationship still benefits when it follows the principles of trust, mutual investment, and mutual benefit. Teams win when their individual members trust each other enough to prioritize team success over individual glory. It is no coincidence that these teams are known for the Patriot way or the Spurs way, and that television broadcasters often praise them for their unselfish play. You can look that article up online. For me, the best model for a community organization is a theater company. In a theater company, everyone is working together for the good of the show. It has all the aspects of a team, but you are not competing against other theater companies. In fact, you hope people will go to all the theater companies in town, and you patronize them as well. But you will not let anything or anyone get in the way of the show. The show must go on. Anyone hampering that is holding back the company. When the New York Times interviewed Linda LaSalle Bryant, CEO of Inwood House in New York, she put it this way. Recently, I've really shifted my thinking. Our culture reflects our work, which is to create a sense of family for our teens. So our staff would say, we are a family, we're a family. And I've actually said directly to everyone in all staff meetings, no, we are not a family because in a family, you never can fire somebody like your Uncle Joe. You just can't. You have to put up with him because he's family. In an organization, if someone is taking the organization down, we can't accept that because the organization is bigger than any one of us. She goes on to say, In a family, it's all about power. You know mom and dad has the power? And I think the dynamic that often plays out in the workplace is that people project all of that parental stuff. And I remember a job where I actually had to say to my team, I am not your mother. I'm the division director here. I have a job to do. You have a job to do. I tell you, when I read her interview, I just loved it, and I empathized with it so much that I invited Dr. LaSalle Bryant to be my guest today. I was not as, as quick to pick up on things as you did in your article, um, as it states in your New York Times article. It took me a while to kind of realize the detriment of kind of letting staff think of themselves as a big family. And I had a staff at a cultural center that would always say, oh, we're just one big family here. And they thought it was just the biggest compliment. And honestly, because I come from a dysfunctional family, it always made me wince a little bit. <laughs> but tell me about how you came to realize this fallacy of the staff as family way of thinking. Well, it was definitely through experience. It wasn't like I, uh, you know, began with that perspective. I think that um, many of us families where we first get socialized, right? And so we get socialized into working and functioning in groups through our family experiences. And we tend to bring those practices, preferences, perspectives into the places where we work. And if you think about it, that makes sense, right? Our, our original authority figures are the people who had responsibility for raising us, parents, foster parents, um, adoptive parents, but the people who played those roles are the first, our first experience with authority figures. They're both authority figures and they also are hopefully nurturing figures. Um, and so we walk into workplaces expecting this is a place where there are people in authority and we, there are certain expectations we bring into the workplace. We're hoping that these authority figures will also be nurturing, that they will be invested in our well-being, 
that's not an inappropriate expectation. But when all of us are bringing that expectation into a workplace, you can see the potential for conflict there. Because in a family, and as I mentioned in the article, if someone is negatively affecting the the entity, the organization as a whole, um, in a family, you don't get rid of that person. Right? We've all got at least one family member who may not, you know, who may be problematic in some way. It it could be a drunk uncle, you know, and I'm being just a little bit facetious, but you know, it could be someone who has a substance abuse issue. It could be someone who's just a really difficult personality. Sure. Generally, the bigger the family, the more uh, dysfunction you have. <laughs> right. I think I think most of us would consider ourselves lucky if it was just one person, but it usually is right. more than that one person. But there isn't there is an understanding that because they are family, that there's a loyalty that transcends the difficulty that they may be posing. And we have that loyalty to them as a family member, and we tend to find ways to either work around those difficulties, give them a pass, overlook it, ignore it, um, find a way to deal with it, but we don't eject, we don't tend to eject people from the family, regardless of whatever problematic behavior they may be engaging in. In an organization, that same philosophy, that same loyalty, that um, allows us to overlook a myriad of difficulties could really be detrimental and lethal to the functioning of an organization. Well, Dr. LaSalle Bryan, it's been an absolute pleasure to interview you, and uh, you're incredibly wise. I can see that you must be a fantastic professor. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well. Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Join us at the Summer School for Nonprofits for one amazing week every August. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First Hundred Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choral group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS. <laughs>